in collaboration with the Alameda County Bar Association, this is Love Thy Lawyer, where we talk with members of the ACBA about their lives and legal careers. I'm Lewis Goodman, the host of the LTL podcast, and yes, I'm a member of the Alameda County Bar Association. Mark McCannon sits as an Alameda County Superior Court judge before taking the bench in 2013 upon appointment by then Governor Jerry Brown, he served as an Alameda County Deputy District Attorney. He was the head of the stalking unit in addition to trying numerous misdemeanor and felony cases. He is a member of the Charles Houston Bar Association, the California Affinity Judicial Association, and of course, the Alameda County Bar Association. Judge McCannon, welcome to the Alameda County Bar Association and the Love Thy Lawyer podcast. Good morning. Well, good afternoon, actually. If you're the judge and you say it's morning, then it's morning. If you say it's <laughs> afternoon, it's afternoon. I wish it was so. I wish it was so. Where are you sitting on the Alameda County bench these days? What department are you in? Well, I'm currently at the Renee C. Davidson Courthouse, which is the courthouse by Lake Merritt. I'm in Department 5, and I'm handling felony jury trials. I do handle misdemeanor jury trials that are sent from Wiley Manual Courthouse um, that need to be tried. I also handle a preliminary hearing. And how long have you had this assignment? I've been in Department five, maybe two years. And then I was in department 11 and I was in department four. So I've been in this courthouse probably around four, four going on five years. Where are you from originally? I was born in San Leandro and I was raised in Los Angeles. So did you go to high school in Los Angeles? Yes. What high school did you go to? Daniel Murphy High School, it was all boys Catholic high school. And after you graduated from uh, high school in L.A., where'd you end up going to college? I went to Sonoma State for two years, which is up in Katati or Rona Park for two years. And then after some discussions with my with my uh, mother, I decided to transfer to UCLA. So I transferred back down to L.A. and I finished up at UCLA. Well, that was really quite a difference in college experiences. I mean, Sonoma State has a beautiful small campus, but UCLA is like one of the really huge schools in the middle of one of the biggest cities in America. Right. I mean, right now, Sonoma's a bit bigger. But when I went there, there was nothing there. It was very small. I loved it. Everyone knew each other. It was a great environment. So I went to I went to Sonoma two years and then I came back down to, to UCLA. Did you go directly to law school from UCLA or did you take some time off? I took a year off. I worked at an entertainment law firm in uh, West Hollywood, and I, I, I thought I wanted to go into entertainment law. And, you know, I worked there with a free lawyer law firm. Um, they handled some very high, some celebrities, Johnny Depp, Jada Pinkett, and Ali Sheedy, people like that, Quentin Tarantino. So I worked there because I thought I wanted to do that. But after working there, I decided I do not. <laughs> And I, 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 I wanted to go to law school, but I didn't want to deal with the health and entertainment industry. When did you first think, I want to go to law school, I want to be a lawyer? When did that first come up for you? Well, a good friend of mine, 
actually, my, it was my fraternity brother, Paul Henderson. He used to work in the DA's office in San Francisco. We went to UCLA together and we were talking about careers. And he said, well, I'm going to law school. And he ended up going to Tulane and he said, you might want to look in. And I was still in school and he was in law school and we, we talked and I decided, hey, this might be a good career for me. Where did you go to law school? McGeorge in Sacramento. And how was that experience having come from UCLA in your hometown and the kind of glitz of LA and then being in Sacramento? Which- it was kind of like Sonoma. What I, I chose to do was find a small group of, of, of friends, you know, people you can trust, study with that, you know, cared about you. And, and, and that's why I kept throughout law school. And I'm still friends with all of those people to this day. Do you think having taken a little time off between college and law school and then working in the industry uh, was helpful to you in terms of focusing? Yes. You know, I didn't I really didn't know any lawyers. I was exposed to the entertainment industry in Los Angeles. So I had some exposure, but I didn't know any lawyers and I I didn't know, uh, you know, what made things tick. When you got out of law school, you ultimately ended up at the Alameda County District Attorney's Office. Can you tell us a little bit about how that happened? They were doing interviews. So at these at our law schools, usually what they do is they set up interviewing day. Government agencies, they come in and you sign up for the interview and they give you an interview. And at that time, Alameda came down and they were interviewing. And they interviewed over 400 people and they select 10 or 12 for a summer program. So I was in their summer program. I tried a couple of cases. I handled motions, motions to suppress. I wrote motions. I did a lot of observation and I really uh, loved it. And it was, at that point in time, I was like, this is what I want to do. What, what is it? What is it about the experience that you loved? It was just, you know, being able to try a case. Being able to do something good for, for someone, helping out, just being, you know, because I think of it as more community service or public service, and just actually helping, not lining my pockets or, you know, but I'm actually doing something meaningful. And it was just, it, it seemed like it was uplifting. Would you recommend the law to a young person who is thinking about a career choice? I would. And it just really depends on what you want to do. Because I know a lot of people that get in law and they get into it and then they realize I hate it or I hate the people that I have to deal with, you know, so you have to really know what this job entails. So you really need to do your research. You have to know that a lot of the things that we deal with are depressing. We see some of the horrible things in life. If a case comes before me, something bad has happened to somebody. We need, we need more lawyers that are interested in public service and that just know that this is, it's a grind. It's not something easy to do. You really need to pay attention. You've got people's lives in your hands sometimes, and you can't afford to have a bad day. What do you think's the best advice you've ever received? And let me just flip that as well and ask, what advice would you give to a young lawyer starting out? You need to establish relationships. You need to worry about your reputation. You might win a case, but if you've done some things, that were unethical, unprofessional, to get to that point, that's going to hurt you in your career. Always realize that people talk, all right? 
People talk about people that don't tell the truth. It happens, and you don't want to be one of those people. So you always want to be honest so that people will trust you. Also, find a mentor. Treat your staff with respect and kindness. They deserve respect too. That's all. What advice do you have for people, attorneys who are coming in front of you as practicing attorneys? What sort of things do you like to see and what sort of things do you not like to see? All right. I like for you to be on time. But if you're you're late, then okay, give me an excuse and own your lateness. Be prepared. You should know your case better, or both attorneys should know the cases. I've, I've had cases where one attorney clearly knows more than the other, and that shouldn't be the case. I know it's an adversarial process, but at the same time, everybody can be cordial. That goes a long way with me, because oftentimes when people have this animosity and they're rude towards one another, I don't hear their arguments because their behavior is a distraction to me. I tell folks, look, stop the name calling, stop all of this animosity so that I can you know, hear what you're saying. Because right now, all I see is you being unprofessional. It becomes an obstruction. When did you first start thinking about being a judge and what prompted that as a career choice? I think after 16 years in the DA's office, a number of people had approached me and said, hey, why don't you put your name in? And I, I wasn't thinking about that. I thought that I was going to be a career prosecutor. But as I saw the climate in California changing, you know, I, I just thought that maybe I could do more as a judge. I've done a lot as, as a DA. Maybe I could do more as a judge and help the community, community out a little bit more. And I decided this is, this is what I wanted to do. Is there anything that you know now that you wished you'd known before you made the move to the bench? Yes. I wish I would have known that when you first get appointed, there's there really aren't that many resources or, let's see, I want to say classes or instruction uh, on what you're doing. So I started in Hayward with the busiest calendar in, in the county. And I really didn't have a clue as to what I was doing. You really have to hit the ground running. You really do. And you can't afford to have a bad day and, you know, and, and let your own whatever's happening to you affect the way that you deal with folks in your courtroom. Do you think the legal system is fair? In some respects, yes. In some, no. I mean, I have seen when I was an attorney, if you came from a certain background, all right, you were going to get bail or OR. If you came from another background, you were staying in custody the whole time. And even if, even if I didn't object, or I said, I'm fine with an OR, I'm fine with the bail being set, sometimes my request was even denied. So, yeah, I, I don't think that it's necessarily fair. I think that Oftentimes, you know, people are convicted in the media before you can see a courtroom. And I think that that sometimes can play into how your case gets handled. I, I can't speak for everybody else. I wish I could say that for everybody else, but I can't. I know that I try and be fair. I first came into the Alameda County system as a deputy DA in 1980. Things have changed a lot 
since then. And the bar and the bench is far more diverse than it was at that time. And I'm just wondering if you have a comment about that. Yeah, I am happy that it's it's more diverse because California is uh, diverse. So I think that the judiciary should reflect the population. So I, I love it when I see more African-Americans being appointed, more Asian-Americans, more Latino-Americans, because I think that we're kind of a melting pot here in California, all right? And I think that everybody should be represented because sometimes people from different backgrounds have better insight into certain things that are going on, you know, certain individuals. And I think that if you have just one group of judges that I say is predominantly white, I just don't think that that represents the diversity that's in California. I'm going to shift gears here a little bit, Your Honor. What's your family life been like? And how is practicing law and being a judge fit into that? As an attorney, I was married, but I only I had a, a, a son at the time. Um, so I had a little baby. And when he turned two, I had another child. That's when I was appointed. So I had two young ones at the time. It wasn't that, I want to say that I had more time for my family because I left this stuff, the, the judicial stuff, in the office. I did not take it home. Whereas as an attorney, you would take work home. When they give you cases when you're an attorney, I don't care what you, you think, they want you to win those cases. And if you don't, that pressure of not winning a case can really bear down on you. I don't have that now as a judge. What sort of recreational pursuits have you taken up in order to kind of get your mind off of things when you are off the bench? Well, Lou, I remodeled my whole house, but I really liked remodeling kitchens, bathrooms, things like that. Where'd you learn how to do that? Well, it, it, it's funny because I bought a, I bought a condo in Alameda when I was a DA, and at the time, well, he's still my friend, Mike Nieto, who works for the DA's office. Yeah, um, he came over to see my house, and Mike says, "Are you going to keep this?" You know, looking at the layout of the kitchen and just the colors, and like I'm going to take all this down. I don't know who's going to do it, but I, I'm going to change it. He's like, "Well, let's just do it together." And I'm ripping cabinets down and my mother comes over and she says, do you know what you're doing? And me and Mike, no, <laughs> but we're going to figure it out. So that's how I started. And then I ended up doing that whole house. And my, my father-in-law is also a carpenter. So he has taught me a great deal in terms of electrical, just building things, building see, uh, fireplace mantles. You know, things like that, building island. So I've been able to, I, I learned all that from him and from just looking up stuff in YouTube. Let's say you came into some real money, let's say three or four billion dollars. What, if anything, would you do differently in your life? I would probably quit my job. I love my job. But if I had a billion dollars, I'm going to hang out with my kids and just make sure that I'm. I'm there for them every day, drop them off, pick them up, things like that. I would donate to my church, of course. I donate to charities because with $3 billion, you got enough to last you a thousand lifetimes. You should be helping somebody out. 
So I don't know. I, I just know that I would want to help people with that money. I wouldn't want to sit on it. And, you know, because I think that there's more than enough to go around. But I don't think that I would be doing this job. I think that I would be giving back, I think, in a different way. Let's say you had a magic wand. There was one thing in the world, the legal world or otherwise, that you could change. What, what would that be? I would change just one thing. Yeah, the magic wand only works for one thing. I think I would change the, the mental health crisis in, in, in the world. I think that, that that feeds into a lot of things. It feeds into homelessness. It feeds into crime. You know, just people just not being happy. Because of suicide. I would, I would probably change that. If you had 60 seconds on the Super Bowl to put a big message out to the entire country, what message would you like to put out on the Super Bowl? I think it would have to do with some, you know, with kindness, you know, treating people with respect, you know, because I think that when, when you're kind to people and you treat them with respect, you're going to get that back. And when you don't, that's when things go haywire. And I think that bad things can happen, but it would be something along those lines. I'm going to open it up to uh, the other people who are here with us. Helen Hoffel, can you unmute and join us? And do you have a question or a comment for Judge McCannon? Yes, absolutely. I was ha uh, glad to hear you mention mental health because that my question was going to be surrounding that. I also agree that it's such a huge um, problem in our society, and I know it must. It, I know it affects the the judicial system. I'm a panel attorney with the First District Appellate Project, and so a lot of my clients are homeless. You know, I can't get a hold of them. They they just cycle through the system. You know, over and over and over. And most of my clients, I would say definitely the majority have mental health issues. And it's really frustrating because, I mean, there can be like a competency hearing, but they understand what's going on. And so they just go through. But there's so many of my clients in jail or in prison with mental health problems. And some of them are really severe. Do you have ideas about what can be done by, with that? Or I know Governor. Newsom has this care court that I think is supposed to address mental health. And if you have heard anything about that. There needs to be a buy-in, you know, by the prosecution, by the, by the courts. That, you know, we're going to work together on this because I think we all can agree that when a person suffers from mental um, illness, sitting in jail isn't going to fix it. There has to be a better way of, of addressing of these issues other than putting someone in jail and letting them serve their time, and then releasing them with the same mindset that they had when they went in. People often say, well, I'm not a social worker. Well, in fact, we are. If you're a defense attorney, you're a social worker. If you're a DA, you're a social worker. If you're a judge, you are a social worker. And I think that we all need to just open up our minds and just realize that there is a problem here. There might be something else motivating this individual to do these actions other than them being just a bad person. And I, I think that it's, it's hard to ignore right now because you see it when you walk outside. You see all, all the tents and, and the people out there. You see people talking to themselves a lot, which is sad. And, but I think that we all need to have sympathy. We all need to care what happens to these people. And I'm not saying, you know, the soft on people. I'm just saying, you know what, there's a way to communicate effectively with people and there's a way to cause more harm. Thanks, Judge. Thanks, Helen. Harlan Simon, do you have a 
comment or a question for Judge McCannon? Hi, thank you very much, Lewis. Judge McCannon, I apologize. I realize maybe I should have taken off my hat and treated this like a courtroom. <laughs> You're not in court. You are fine. <laughs> I appreciate. Yeah, to Helen's question, when I was a public defender in Compton, mm-hmm. you know, I used to do trial after trial, and we had very liberal voir dire back then. Sometimes tr- cases would be two, three weeks on a misdemeanor. It was crazy. But I remember going home and thinking the money that that cost, the the system, my clients, if they had had a summer program, if they had been able to go to camp, if we had spent, if the society had spent a fraction that it was spending on this trial, it just, it kind of killed me because I think a little prevention would have gone a long way. I I mean, I think the, the early intervention is when people are kids. You know, I know sometimes people have tough upbringing, but you know what? In school, the school should be geared towards making them better people, educating them. And I find that we have neglected the educational system in this country. Before I passed the bar, I was a substitute teacher. So I taught in North Oakland. So I think that society, we need to prioritize education. And so I think that you really need to start early, early on. But also, if they do come before me and they have not had those positive experiences in their lives, now is the time to give them a positive experience. Because when they come into your courtroom, they automatically think you, you think they're guilty or you're going to yell at them. Maybe you treat them with respect. And you talk to them like they're human beings. And they made a bad mistake. That doesn't make them a bad person. You have to show them that somebody cares. And I think that that goes a long way to getting a result that's, that's great for everyone involved. Thank you, Judge. And thank you, Harlan. Sharon Caesar, do you have a question or a comment for Judge McCannon? I apologize for stepping in late. I had another meeting to go to. One of my favorite judges. Well, how about yourself? I'm good. It's good to see you. Good to see you too. I have to agree with your comment about attorneys being social workers, especially with clients who have mental health issues. I find that I I have to be there for those kinds of clients in more of a social worker role than as an attorney role because their needs are more social than they are some I mean, yes, they're in the legal system, but they don't get they, they can't get there without you dealing with their immediate needs, which are their social needs. And so I end up sitting around talking with clients about housing, where you're going to go. How do you get a caseworker? How do you, especially in Alameda County, when different cities have different protocols for, for these kinds of clients to get services like Berkeley Mental Health is different from Alameda County's, Oakland's behavioral health setup. So it's really important, and I'm glad you brought that up, that attorneys have to step out of that role sometimes of just looking at the legal issues and trying to help the client address their more immediate needs of, you know, housing and food. And then you can, once they are stabilized or at least heading in that direction, then you can address the the legal issues. So I just wanted to comment and say that that was a great idea, a great statement that attorneys need to not be afraid of relating with their clients and acting somewhat like a social worker. If you 
fix a lot of these social issues. These, these issues are the reasons why they're in front of you in the first place. Lack of housing, lack of education, lack of income, things like that. If you kind of address those issues and you're open to speaking to them about, you know, these problems and giving them some constructive advice, you know, then I think that you do a lot to prevent them from getting in the system. Recidivism rates might go down, things of that nature. We start. We need to start having a lot of faith. We need to have faith in people. Judge McCannon, thank you so much. What I'm going to I'm going to close this meeting because we are unfortunately pretty close to being out of time. I want to thank everyone who uh, joined us today and asked uh, questions and made comments. I think it really added a lot to the discussion. Judge Mark McCannon. Thank you so much for joining us today at the Alameda County Bar Association and the Love Thy Lawyer podcast. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I want to thank you, Ms. Goodman, for having me and also the the folks that asked me questions and spoke up. I really uh, enjoyed being here, and I think that this is a, is a good program to have. That's it for today's edition of Love Thy Lawyer in collaboration with the Alameda County Bar Association. Please visit the lovethylawyer.com website where you can find links to all of our episodes. Also, please visit the Alameda County Bar Association website at acbanet.org, where you can find more information about our support of the legal profession, promoting excellence in the legal profession, and facilitating equal access to justice. Special thanks to ACBA President Pamela Ross and Criminal Justice Chair Annie Bellis. Staff members, Kaylin Dalen, Saeed Randall, Valerie Brown, Les Troart, and Hadassah Hayashi. Thanks to Joel Katz for music, Brian Matheson for technical support, Paul Roberts for social media, and Tracy Harvey. I'm Lewis Goodman. So, I mean, so when are the Oscar nominations? Am I? You know, it's just too dangerous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay.